Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, um, depending on wherever in the world you are today. Uh, my name is Vonda Page and welcome to Living Corporate, the group chat. This is Radical Change. And today I'm so happy and excited to have with me again, my friend, colleague and sister, Alyssa Stan. And what we're gonna be talking about today is relationships and basically can white women and black women be friends and um i'm going to give a little kind of background around how this conversation came up but you know at the end of the day we know for a fact that white women and black women can be friends can be best friends can be like sisters and it's not about trying to be like the other person trying to emulate the other person trying to uh, 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 save the other person. It's just really about um, getting to know yourself and who you are through that relationship. And then, um, you know, taking down some of the fear or concern or anxiety that's built up, you know, based on our own background and baggage. And so, um, with that, um, hey, Alyssa, how you doing? I'm so glad to see you and talk to you about this. Me too. And we've been having these conversations, full disclosure, for what, three months now? Yep, it's December, so it, three months. Yeah, yeah. So for us, this is a practiced conversation, but friendship and relationships in general are practiced anyway. Like part of building a relationship with someone, you hear this all the time, whether it's a a partner, a friend, it takes work, right? It takes showing up. It takes investing in that person over and over and over again. And part of this conversation is showing up for each other, even when we don't know how, but asking and knowing that that other person will tell us how to love them. Oh my God. Okay. So you never phrased it like that before. <laughs> and what you just made me think about was like, you know, when you develop friends as kids, right? So you and yes. I um, have had conversations about like our childhood friends. And I think I told you that at, uh, one of my first best friends was half white, right? She was yes. mixed. My friend Juliet, and she had a brother named Joel. So Juliet and or Joel Eads, if you are out there in cyberspace somewhere, you know, holler at Vonda Page. I know <laughs> you're going to say I still look the same. So uh, holler back, um, Juliet and Joel Eads were twins and they lived in Philly. Um, and we were like super tight. When I was in fifth grade, my uh, best friend, um, she was white. Her name was Dolores. 
and um, we used to be jump rope partners. I told you that. We used to be yes. double dutch partners. And everybody's like, Bonda jumping rope with the white girl. Bonda jumping rope with the white girl. And I was like, that's my friend. And they saw how she could jump. And they were like, oh, she's cool. And she was a friend. She didn't try to be black. But if we were jumping rope, she was jumping rope too. If we were playing hopscotch, she was playing hopscotch too, right? Um, and I think I told you, her mom knew how to cook. And so, like, she had flavor in her food. <laughs> uh, Juliet and Joel's mom wasn't as good. But, you know, I but I ate at their house, right? But, like, so when I think about what you said around how you build a relationship anyway, it doesn't matter what the person looks like. It's relationships are built over time, right? So I think about my some of my very first best friends who I'm still friends with this day to this day, they're dudes, um, you know, Craig Ford and Leonard yeah. Wakefield, right? And me and Craig been friends since second grade, right? And I met Leonard in third grade because he and Craig, they had been friends before that, like from kindergarten or something, right? Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, these are people that I have now known for 40 something years, right? Or even my best friend who I've known for 39 years. So, like, you you become close with any person over time, but to your point around those interactions and being invested and kind of staying there. So, if you think about the fact that 80% of white people do not know any people that are not white, not saying they don't see, you know, non-white right. people or in the public or work right. with them but really don't know any people that are not white. And then you say the, the number of there's only six, maybe six and a half percent of black women in the country, if we only talk about the United States right now, right? So the ratio of white women to black women, when you're talking about the opportunity mm -hmm. to be friends yeah. is already a challenge from the gate, right? From the door. So then you talk about this, um, difference, right, that we know exists and and trying to come through that. So I know that was like a whole lot, but like, I just like, like, that's where my mind is going. And so I know, no. you know, you could just go with it. So that's where we at. <laughs> no, and I think I specifically want to call out something that you said, which was your friend Dolores, the, the white girl that you were friends with, she didn't try to be you or be like you. I think that's important to note because I think sometimes if you're on this side, if you're the white person trying to make friends, you just want to get to know somebody. This was a conversation that we had this week where I said, sometimes as a white person, you can prioritize your need for connection over your awareness of the situation. And I've done that before. Like we, I think as a, as a group of people, we need to say that being wrong in these situations is normal. You've done it. And we need to get past that fear so that we can move forward as, as a group and build these bonds and build these relationships. Because you and I bonded over some deep-seated trauma. And not everybody's going to have that as a way to bond. Some people like riding bikes. Some people like reading. Some people really connect with tech. So there's going to be a common ground. It's about building that relationship but it's also about listening to the other person and hearing their perspective. And the other thing that I wanna draw out is not every person is for you. 
I right. think it's important to understand that you're not going to connect with everybody and that is okay. Um, but you have to listen to and pay attention to the people around you and be okay with boundaries that they set. I think that as white women, sometimes we don't understand or are, haven't been in the habit of setting boundaries for ourselves. So if somebody sets a boundary with us, it can be really jarring because we're not used to it. So I think part of that is loving yourself enough to know that like boundaries are good, boundaries are healthy, and that you need to have them for yourself so that when somebody sets a boundary with you, you can recognize, okay, that's good. Now I know. Now I know. So Does say that- more about that. Say more yeah. about the boundaries piece. So, so give or give an example, maybe. Yeah. So I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. And it really kind of dips into what we're doing, our side project that we'll talk about later. But I think about white women in the home. And one of the things that we talk about on our podcast that is our side project is hierarchy. And you and I have had this discussion before. Yeah. In the black yeah. Typically, uh, both of the parents are at the top, right? And then kids under that. In a white household, it can be reversed. And I'm speaking from my experience in my household and in many people that I've talked with, it goes father, kids, mother. And so because white women give so much to their kids, it's often difficult to say, no, I need this space for me. I need this time for me. I need to do this for me because we're taught to just kind of let that boundary go, let it fade or not have it there at all because we have to just jump and do whatever it is for our kids, our partner, whoever it is. So if you, as, as a white woman like me, experience issues with setting boundaries because it, it doesn't feel well or you're a people pleaser, I too am a former people pleaser and that is a habit I am actively working to break. If you are not used to having a boundary set with you, that probably feels really awful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So for example, if so at work, for example, yes. uh, Oh my God. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it to, I'm going to try to take it to the least traumatizing example that I'm sure most black women have had happen. And it is traumatic, but, but most probably have it happen. Just think of the example of somebody saying, can I touch your hair now? Mm. Not Mm. when they touch it without you giving you the warning because that's even worse but somebody asking you to touch it at least it gives you a chance to set a boundary when as opposed to being petted like a pet which i know many women have all kinds of women of every have been petted but but your hair particularly as a black woman is it's a thing so when a black woman pushes back and says no you can't touch my hair right to a white woman they get all mad and shit because I've had people get mad at me. And I said, well, do you want me touching your hair? And they would say, well, I don't care. And I said, well, I don't want to touch your hair because that's your hair and I don't need to touch it. Now, if we really yeah. good friends and me and you hanging out and I say, oh, Alyssa, I love your hair. But me and you got a different relationship. I'm not we riding an elevator with you. And <laughs> I just know you at work because I can't tell you how many you elevators I was in. Right. And I have had, I remember when I used to have a relaxer in my hair 
which was way before my daughter, well, not way before my daughter was born, but before I got married, which was in the 90s, I had a relaxer. So my hair looked just as straight as your hair does now. Mm -hmm. And I had right. had people come up to me in an elevator while I have a suit on with high heels and touch my hair. And I'm like, oh my God. And I like, cause I, and I do real dramatic, like they, you know, hit me in the head with a pot. So it's like, like back the hell up type of thing. But, but I remember just in, in women that I may know, right. Not know well, but work with have said, you know, can they touch my hair or whatever? And I'm like, no. And then they get mad and like, you know, never want to talk to me again. Or, well, it just, I would just, it just looked really nice. And I, and then, or they start the crying thing or whatever. And it's like, bitch, this is my hair. Why do I have to tell you, let you touch it? First of all, I'm really sorry. And thank you for sharing that. I know it's tough. Um, I don't know because I know, but I know from what I know because of what you told me. And I think it goes back to boundaries again, because I think about when I was in high school or junior high or, you know, even in a work situation, like you're calling out now. So my hair is naturally wavy or curly and it's not a very like evenly dispersed curl. So you'll see me manufacture it all the time. So when I was first starting out, I rarely straightened my hair because it was so much work and effort for me. And so people would come up and do that and they would touch my hair. And right. And I think without white, asking, without asking. And I think it's as white women, we're just used to touching each other's hair, which is not an excuse, but it's to call out this boundary thing again, where we're not used to setting a boundary or we're used to having it crossed. And we've had that happen so much in our life that when someone does set that boundary, like you said, where you would react as if you've been hit, then that's the reaction of like, oh no, I must have done something terrible. And they have, but they don't understand why because they're used to being trampled. Or like in my case, I was used to being trampled. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's super interesting because black people, we don't touch each other. <laughs> Even if it's your sister or your cousin. Like I think, so my hair has been natural now since 1999, right? Since the, uh, probably... Yeah, probably this time, uh, 1999, so 23 years ago, whatever that is, right? Um, and I have relatives and friends who wear their hair relaxed. And I have said, oh, my God, I just want to touch your hair. And they'd be like, bitch, you better not touch my hair. And I'm like, I'm not, but I want to, right? Because we don't do that. Right. Now, right. if somebody says, right. hey, can you scratch my scalp or can you do this for me, then you do it, right? You that's know, but you just, but you just don't do it. Right. right. And I'm talking about these are blood relatives of mine who we like and it, you just don't do it, you know, right. you know, and you want to. But and sometimes they might say, all right, but don't fuck it up. Like, just, like, just <laughs> yes, but like, just, like, just barely touch right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about, too. OK, so I think that this takes us back to like how we opened the show, which was when you are working on a relationship, you have to listen to and attend to the needs of the person that you're with. Because what you deem is okay for yourself may not be okay for someone else. And that is okay, that is normal. We are allowed to set the boundaries of engagement or the rules of engagement for ourselves and our relationships, right? Yep, yeah. And so what's interesting, hey, Tiffany. So what's interesting is, right, that 
this whole boundaries thing. And so that's another thing that you and I talk about, right? Is that with boundaries, right? Both of us, because we have, you know, trauma and abuse in our backgrounds, we have that people pleasing type boundary mm-hmm. issue. And so when, when we both, I'm sure, and I don't know how much, we didn't talk about this too much, but in our personal life, I can tell you for me, when I started, um, you know, really exerting those boundaries and being like, no, I'm not doing this. No, I'm not doing that. People started getting mad. And I had to say too bad. Right. And I had to listen to like Fantasia, you know, I'm doing me and, yes. you know, Alicia Keys, brand new day and telling people go kick rocks because I'm allowed to take care of myself and I'm allowed to set up my own boundaries. And just because people violated my boundaries at the office, at this job, at that job, at this job over here, you know, past relationships, why people get divorced and, you know, leave relationships, right? Cause a boundary was crossed or, mm-hmm. or violated, you know, whatever. Um, and so when you get to a point in life and you decide for yourself, these are my boundaries. Your boundaries are for you and you uphold right. them for you. So when you let people cross them, that's on you because you didn't set it up right. And I, and I, I'm telling you, I cannot tell you how many therapeutic conversations I've had, right. With my therapist, my current and previous ones about, well, you let, like you, you decide for yourself because once you, and everybody doesn't have, you know, that ability all the time. But right. in my case, right, if I am a I, I was able to physically take care of myself, economically take care of myself, um, I don't have to let any person cross boundaries with me that I, you know, that I'm not that I'm not with. And so if you're talking about a friendship, if somebody wants to touch my hair and I don't want them to, well then we can't be friends. Because why would back to what you said, connection or comfort, why would that right prioritize you right why would that take priority and take precedence right and i think for white people that are listening in that maybe haven't started doing the work yet or are still trying to figure it out i think maybe it's helpful to take a smaller example to understand what this means and how this translates to your life so let's talk about one of the things you and i talk about is uh how late we text sometimes and if we have our notifications turned off because we don't want to wake each other right So for some people, a boundary would be like, don't text me at two in the morning because my phone will go off. I leave it on for emergencies. Please don't do that. So think about relationships in terms of that. Those are boundaries and they can go deeper and they can go beyond. And what we have to understand is that our cultures are different. This is what you and I have unpacked quite a bit is we've grown up in completely different ways. So understanding the rules of engagement with each other is very important. Because you did not grow up the same way that I did. And I did not grow up the same way that you did. Mm-hmm. And and I think, and mm-hmm. it's funny because, ah, there's a cat. <laughs> and I think it's funny because when we talk about even, even the boundary piece, right? So I, um, you know, because of my home situation, my boundaries were always crossed in the house. Yes. So when I got outside of the house, Nobody wasn't crossing my boundaries. And I used to fight all the time. And, you know, it's interesting when I, you know, when somebody will say something like, remember the time you did this and I'll be like, oh, my God. Right. <laughs> or or I used to break up fights, but I didn't fight for no right. reason. I, I had very um, assertive boundaries. And so if anybody was even close to one of my boundaries, I would just snap 
like Mm -hmm. back up. But that I think, you know, every time I've analyzed it and talked about it is because in my house, in my regular life, I didn't I wasn't allowed to have autonomy over myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I went out in the public, like literally I'm at school or I'm walking down the street, you going to do what to me? I don't think so. You know, and so that's where, you know, boundaries comes in. And I think about so many dangerous things I have done (laughs) in my life to to assert my own boundaries that could have really got me much more seriously injured or whatever. But it just goes to show like, like obviously that's an innate part of who I am, right? Is somebody that's protective of myself as well as other people. So that boundaries thing is a big piece. So when you're talking about, you know, and that example you use is good because I'm always like with my phone and the notifications trying to make sure. And that's why I'm like, so it's so, because to me, like, and I don't, and I didn't even think of it as much as a boundary, as much as I care about you. And I want you to get right. rest. And unless, right. you know, I'm getting beat by some cops at the moment, it's no me- reason for me to call you in the middle of the night or send you a text message. So exactly. like literally, you know, like, so that's one of the reasons that I, you know, so to me, those things are more like, just kind of more courtesy and more, and more like courtesy. But if you think about it, it's also a rule of engagement. It's also the habit that you're forming and building in a relationship. And I think maybe now is a good time to say the other reason why it's important to understand and and know the rules of engagement with each other, the boundaries with each other, is so that you can appropriately advocate for someone, right? And that takes us back to the workplace because this is what we've talked about. We've already kind of answered that. Well, we did answer the question. You answered it at the beginning. Can white women and black women be friends? And yes, they can. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of work. But why do we think that that's important specifically in the workplace? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. The workplace is so. (laughs) It's so traumatic. It is It's so traumatic. It's dangerous. It's like, and for black women, it's kind of like, okay, if you're black and male, your danger happens soon as you are maybe seven or eight and you're just big enough for people to perceive you as, and it doesn't matter, even if you step out the house or stay in the house. When you're, when you're a black woman, right, and you're in this, you know, elite club of the 6% of the people living in the United States, right, it's like you stick out and you are invisible at the same time. Right. You are a pet, but you're a threat at the same time. Right. You're loved and you're hated. You're admired and you're ignored. Right. And so there's all of this always happening at the same time. And so in the workplace, right, as a black woman, I can tell you, I don't even think I've ever had. Not ever, but in my earlier career, I would say. The first 20 years of my career which is a long time for most people, right? Some people, fortunately, they only work 20 years and they get to retire, right? Um, I can't even imagine. But like the first 20 years of my career, I don't think I ever worked with any black women that were not the receptionist, the uh, guard when you come in the door, Um, but not like on the team. Right. Right. As an individual contributor or definitely not a supervisor unless but not like with me working directly now wherever I worked that had a customer service organization of course there's plenty black women and women in leadership positions in that part but not in technology 
not in utilities, not in energies, like there, like there, like there aren't any, right? And so there are then you have so that's the one level, right? Then right. you have the level of very few white women, and then they are few and far between the higher they go up too, right? So it's not like, oh, white women get to be 50% of leadership, you know, up these that's not that that happens either. So if it's a if it's a if it's seven, if it's a seven seat of suite, seven seven seats in a suite of C's. Right. <laughs> the woman is on that was a tongue twister. Ooh, I like it uh, though. Yeah. Uh the woman's only gonna get one seat. It's Probably. only gonna be one for her, right? right? And maybe it may be one room for a brown type of person, right? But that's really yes. it. So mm-hmm. then it then then scarcity is in and all of this other stuff. So 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 to the question of you know in the workplace and 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 kind of why it's so important, it's like because as women we need to be sticking together. Yes. Period. And I don't yes. and I to my to me being 52 years old to this day, do not understand why women, why we don't subscribe to the rule that all girls are sisters, right? Yeah. All women are sisters. I've been telling my daughter, because yeah. we are. We, we are. are. Absolutely. So so why, so why don't we act like it, right? We got scarcity. We got yes. patriarchy. We got white yes. supremacy and capitalism that's driving it. But we don't have to subscribe to that part of it. You can still shop and have your nice things and send your kids to college and be nice to me at work, right? But we get pitted against each other. Exactly, Tiff, right? Yep. Exactly, Tiffany, right? So we get pitted against each other. But but it doesn't have to be like that. So let's talk a little bit about like, like let's give a dynamic, like like let's give an example. Um, well, can we uh, do this? Can we can we double down a little bit on what you're saying because I think it's yeah. super super important, and I don't Go want ahead. to miss. Yeah, because um, I don't know if people have seen the documentary. I believe it's on Netflix. It's called "This Changes Everything," and it talks about the diversity in filmography and directors, etc. So the reason I'm pulling that out is because they listed a statistic in there talking about how in most industries, the percentage of women in leadership caps out typically around 12%. So even though we've been working on it, even though Mm. we've been talking about it, it typically caps out at 12%. There are some that are a little higher, some that are a little lower, but for the most part, it's there. And to your point about scarcity, I use this example all the time. And when I talk to other women, this is like everybody gives the same response. So imagine that there's a ton of people in a room, all applying for the same 20 positions, okay? And there's a ton of men and like 20 women in this whole room. We're taught, just like Tiffany said, we're pitted against each other. We're taught that we're only going to get a portion of that. Instead of all working together as a group of 20 individuals to get all 20 of those All of it. All of it. We're looking at each other going, there's probably only going to be one of us or five of us or 10 of us. It's certainly not going to be the whole lot, but we can certainly take up that much room because we're capable, we're bright, we're brilliant, we're intelligent, et cetera. And we can come together to make this happen. And part of that goes back to the beginning about deepening that relationship, understanding where each other are coming from and knowing that our perspectives are different, spending the time to listen, to learn, to understand. So let's go back to the example of I'm at work and you want to touch my hair 
and let's play it all the way out. So okay. you say, hey, Vonda, can I touch the hair? And I say, no. Do you want me to play? You're not being, I mean, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to a person. because No, and that's why I'm like, so, how do you want me to play this out? So, okay. So, so um, how you imagined it, or if you didn't know what you know, or okay. other people that you know who have done it. Because I know that you know people who have done it. And they probably yeah. said to you, I asked this black woman, can I touch her hair? And she got all mad. So the response, I guess the response you probably normally hear is, and then it's like, well, why wouldn't she? Like, I'm just trying to be nice. Or like, you can touch my hair. Or there's probably some sort of reciprocity going on there. But the reality should be, okay, thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry. Um, you shouldn't have to double down on trying to cross a boundary that's not there for you to cross it. We have to be able to, if we truly believe in consent, how much have we, we talked about this as women? We have to believe in consent with each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And part, part of that is knowing when the conversation starts, when it ends, and all the, all of the little nuances that happen as they go. And I think that's interesting because I think I told you before, I used to tell my daughter, you keep your hands to yourself. You don't touch yes. nobody and nobody should be touching yes. you. Now, if you walk in, if you in, you know, preschool and y'all walking side by side, holding hands, that's fine. But you don't be touching people. You don't touch their hair, their skin, their face. Don't touch anybody. And you only touch yourself when you home by yourself. Like, don't touch nobody. You know what I mean? Like, 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 simple. like, yeah. this is super simple. Keep your hands to yourself. Right. And if you don't know what to do with your hands and you, you can tell I've been around a lot of kids. Right. I'd be like, if you don't know what to do with your hands, you can hold them like this. You can hold them like this. You can hold them like this. You can put them in your pocket. Put them, you can put them, on, your hips. Put them yep. on your hips. You can put them on your hips. Like literally, you know, there's so many things you can do in so many ways. Right. To teach children at an early age to have that set of boundaries right and so yeah. nobody should be touching you and you shouldn't be touching anybody and if you started there then you build into consent oh i love your hair would you mind if i touched it no i don't like that or no thank you okay thanks for letting me know like you said but yeah. that would that wouldn't come to a damn stranger that would be maybe after we have a relationship but why, right. but why do I need to touch your hair or you need to touch mine? I don't understand why that needs to happen. You know, I don't either. Um, <laughs> so I have a hard time articulating that side of it, to be honest. Maybe somebody can provide perspective. But I'm trying to pull this back and think about it in the workplace. Like, how can we advocate for each other? How can we lift each other up? And how can we come together to form strong relationships to say, hey, it's not Vonda against Alyssa or Alyssa against Vonda, the two of them are working together to lift up everybody else. How, like, what are good examples that you've seen or how have people advocated or like allied with you in the right way? Could you give an example? I mean, I mean, it's really hard to think of any white women that have really allied and stayed and stuck around. Like they start off, oh, I got you, blah, blah, blah. And the second it gets a smidge hard, they out deuces, right? Throwed up. And so I understand because what we know exactly, Tiffany, because what we know is this is this this is hard, right? But it's just like anything else that's hard. If it's anything that you're trying to accomplish in life, I dare you to tell me it doesn't take effort. Are you trying to get a new job? You got to at least click on the Internet for that. You can't just yep. sit here and do nothing. 
you have to at least pick a phone call up and call up your buddy. If your name is Ethan, maybe you can call Brett up and say, hey, dude, I need a job, right? You still got to put some kind of energy into it. And so if you're really talking about trying to do something that you think is important, it's going to hurt a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about people, even in any kind of relationships, I mean, you're, you're married, right? Yes. Newly married. Can you imagine being in your relationship and you and your partner never, ever had not one disagreement about anything? Oh. I mean, I can right, right. Y'all would have to be the same person. You would have to have grown up in the same right. house, have the same right. mind, the same. And we don't want that. Like, it would be crazy. No. So in a relationship at work, like, you know, I can think of times where people, you know, volunteered to be on a committee, maybe that I was chairing or leading. And, you know, I asked them, could they do this and that? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they half-assed did it. Or they oh, they did it the way they wanted to do it. Or um, you go to a meeting before a meeting before a meeting with somebody who's on the project team mm. and you think they're cool because y'all seem to agree on a lot of stuff and you try to get to know them a couple times, have coffee, chat over Slack, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, hey, at the meeting uh, on uh, next Tuesday, I wanted to present this and that because here's my thought because we need to change A, B, and C. What do you think? Oh, Vonda, I think that is great, girl. Yeah. Okay, so here's what's up. You know, it's only me and you in there, and it's all the rest of them. All right, can I count on you to stick up for me? Don't let nobody talk over me. Make sure you say, yeah, Vonda already said that. Da 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 da. Like, like da, da, da. can I count on you? You know, I might not be at the meeting next week. Okay, well, how about this? If you're not at the meeting, we're going to record the meeting. Can you watch the recording and then after say, I agree with Vonda? Oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And then they don't come to the meeting and then they don't yeah. respond to the recording. Or they do come to the meeting. They say they're going to come. They say they're going to stick up and they don't. And I have had that happen from so-called sponsors, from so-called mentors, from so-called colleagues, from people that are men and women. Um, but you know, white people, but mostly women, you know, because you usually don't have that many women. Right. Um, right. and then I've had the kind that they would speak up, but only specifically on very, very technical things. Like, so let's say they were an engineer or an architect or, um, or maybe the data scientist like that has a very niche thing that yes. I'm my thing that I'm saying is in support of that. And they know. Well, this is an architectural thing that Vonda clearly understands. And she's trying to say, this is why you need to communicate X thing to this group in this way. Um, I can get that. But then that next thing. But but if that person doesn't have strong enough personality, doesn't mm -hmm. have that, um, you know, sense of command and confidence. Right. Then they might not be able to stick up either because they're not going to be you know, in a position to feel like they could do it. The other thing is the backlash, right, of sticking up. And so knowing that that's real, you know, how often do I really ask somebody or expect them to stick up? I really don't because I know that most people don't got the juice. They don't got the chops for it yeah. because it's hard work. Yeah, you're right. And I'm sorry. And I want to say that I'm hearing two things from you. So white women especially listen to me for a second. I'm hearing Vonda say that we need to believe black women and we need to show up. Am I hearing that correctly, Vonda? Yeah, and I feel like me and you talk and I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
But I don't say it's to you telling you to do no. it. But that's what, right. But that's the sense that's of what the conversation I need. we have. Right. And mm-hmm. here's and here's why both of these things are so important. Because if anybody can be othered in and we're talking about work, if anybody can be othered at work, then we can be othered at work. Because we like we as women sit on the outside in a lot of places. So if Vonda can be othered, that means I can be othered. So the point of what we're doing and this work that we're doing to come together isn't just for Vonda. Like she said at the beginning, she doesn't need to be saved. She's capable and competent all on her own. And she's proven that multiple times. It's not about saving someone. It's about saying, hey, as long as this inequality, as long as this inequity exists, that means it can happen to me. That means it can happen to my sister, my daughter, my niece, my cousin, my aunt, my mom. Our liberation is tied up in each other. So it's important that we start talking and we start working on that together. And so what's interesting is that I don't understand why white woman, women can't see that, especially in the corporate space, especially in work. When to your point about that 12% cap at leadership, I mean, so it goes to, you know, the Fortune 500, which, you know, <laughs> somebody was asking me, how do you know these statistics? Because they burns in my damn brain, right? Yeah. It's only 33 women. So I bet you that's about 12 damn percent. And of that 33, only two of them are black. And when the two black ones were there and when Ursula Burns was there, everybody was celebrating. And I'm saying, why are we celebrating? First of all, this should have happened a long time ago. And secondly, it's still only one person. Because if if 6% of black women were CEOs, there would be 30 of us. And there's certainly not 30 the right fortune. Now. 500, yep. right. Yep. And it's barely 30 women. Oh, so there's the math right there. So it's 6% of women that are leading the Fortune 500. Boom, I yeah, did that. So we're not even at 12%. We're not even at 12%. Right. You know, I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. I think there's a lot of nuance. I think there's a lot of layers. And you and I uncover a lot of that in the conversations that we have on the podcast that we're doing. And we'll we'll talk about that more. But I think, let's let's give an analogy. Like, Think back to like high school and there were specific tables, right? At lunch. Yep. Yep. And I think we as white women have to recognize that because we think we're at the cool table doesn't mean that we can't get quickly kicked out. So I got to tell you something about this cool table because one difference, and this is the stuff that we talk about, right? The difference with white and black. So I went to a black high school. I'm calling it a black high school. We had a white principal and a vice principal some white teachers, but there was a black school with black teachers. Uh, You didn't sit at a lunch table about who's cool. You sat on a lunch table with who you liked. So if you were liking basketball that day, you was at the table with the people that's playing basketball. If you were jumping rope that day, you was at the table with the people jumping rope. If you, well, this is high school, so you didn't jump rope, but basketball or the artsy people or the drama people or the cheerleaders or the groupies, as I used to say, the people that hung around sports teams that wasn't on no teams um, or the artsy, you know, people. So you there was nobody was not cool and cool. You hung around people who you liked. Right. And, right. you know, we didn't have uh, the first two years of our school. We had like the big cafeterias and all of that. But then the second two years, we had to go to a middle school for high school because they closed our school to clean mm. asbestos out, right? 
Um, wouldn't it be interesting to find out how many schools had asbestos in the 80s and how many people have died from cancer who went to those schools? Wouldn't that be interesting to find out? Maybe You're some sure super smart, yeah. Maybe some super smart person that's hearing this one day will be like, not have time to do and figure that out. But we ended up going to a smaller school. So when we went to that school, school got out so early that you didn't eat lunch. So like we got out of school at like two o'clock. So you ate snacks or whatever, and then you had to eat on your own. So, um, but you still were friends with people who you had an interest in. So for example, my best friend, right? Still my best friend to this day, Josephine. Josephine was a cheerleader. She was in drama. She was in dance. She was in all that kind of stuff that related to dance and drama. If she had a dance or a drama thing, or she was sitting with her dance and drama people, I would go sit over there with the dance and drama people. If she was hanging out with the cheerleaders and they were sitting with the basketball team, then I would sit with them. Maybe she might be sitting with the drama people, but I might be sitting with Patricia over there with the um, health academy kids or with the kids that's in a different... Like, it wasn't like that. So it wasn't like... So for us, it's like there's no separation other than by what you liked. Like it was some people that might have been more what we say. And this is not an insult term to me, nerdy or geeky. Like to me, those terms are fine. But like, but you, but like you geek out on a certain thing. So maybe if you was a nowadays, you might be a Minecraft geek as a common example, right? Or a a Pokemon geek or whatever geek. What back then you hung out with your geeky group of whatevers. So your art geeks or your basketball geeks or whatever. And so nobody was not cool or kind of cool. So I think that's another dynamic. So in the workplace, right? If I'm in, if I am working on, um, and I've been on so many technology projects, oh my God, everything from like enterprise resource planning systems mm-hmm. to HR systems to, to procurement, like all kind of stuff. So if it's only one woman in me, to me, we already have a connection. So I'm yes. trying to geek out with her on the project, but because it's just me and her, because I feel like we could at least geek out on being girls, like, you know, being women, you know, and I say girls from the standpoint of having to build like a camaraderie thing mm-hmm. with, with a white woman. Cause I know that that's a sensitive term. And it's funny because when I think about talking to, if you talk to a black woman, you can't call a black woman, no girl, because unless you're a friend of that person. Right. But like, and I've had white women say, hey, girl, to me, like, like kind of stranger people. And I'm like, mm, that's like reserved for friends. But that's a whole different conversation because we had that right. talk, too. We did. We did. I think what you're drawing out is really important because there's obviously even just in the school lunchroom dynamic an obvious cultural difference. And this is a cultural difference that is the big one that you and I explore time and time again, which is image, Right. So, I mean, it all goes back to it. So Every time, every time. Yes. So when you think about it from a a white woman's standpoint, are you thinking about, like, and I'm asking this to white women, are you thinking about how you're going to look or be perceived? Or are you thinking about doing the right thing, showing up the right way? Because those are two different things. Okay, you got to pause on that. All right, let's pause. I'm going to take some water. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ask your question. Let's get hydrated on that one because um, right. how you're going to look 
versus doing the right thing. And so if I just use myself as an example, I never care how I look. And I can't tell you how many times over my career, people have been like, that's why you not this and that's why you not that. And, and I'm like, but it's about doing the right damn thing, you know? And so right. you, because at the end of the day, all of us, all human beings who can function, right? Um, it, you know, in the world that can function, we, we have to sit with ourselves and, and know ourselves at least a little bit. And how yeah. can you just live day in and day out, not doing the right thing and, and feel good and sleep at night and be able to, you know, I always say, I got to look at my face at least four times a day when I brush my teeth. Right. So I got to look at, <laughs> at this. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, and be okay with it and sit with and it. Be okay. I think there's, there's something that we need to discuss then here, which is how business operates and how people succeed and how people climb the ladder. Okay. Because I think if you look at corporate America, what you might hear people say, and I've heard this before, I've said this before, um, it's about playing the game, right? It's about doing the things you know you're supposed to do. Because if we think about it, the two of us, the most capable or good at their job are not always the people that move up, right? Sometimes it's the most likable. Sometimes it's the most charismatic. Sometimes it's the person that played golf with somebody and they were fraternity brothers, you know, 10, And most years. of the time it's the man. <laughs> so what we need to do is pay attention to this as white women and go, if this still isn't happening and we're still playing the game, they tell us to keep playing and it's still not working in our favor, then maybe we're doing it wrong. And maybe we can just bank on our skill and we can still do the right thing and we can build relationships along the way and the two of us can come together to rise up. I love that you said we're doing it wrong because, yeah. you know, because it, 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 it keeps reminding me of this whole, you know, black women going after the VC money, which I, which I, I, I mean, it's commendable because they're trying to get it. But but the trauma that you kind of face on a daily basis for a, a, a smidgely, you know, not even a quarter of a percent of 100 percent, they get less than a quarter. So that 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 you trying to, you know, do all that for for that when if we could come together. Right. And and have allies in a real actionable, accountable uh, way. Um, yeah. that's, that's where it's at. Right. And so to help people kind of wrap around, what does that look like? Right. In different, in different scenarios. So we have the meeting scenario. So yes. if I say to you, Hey, um, I, I would like for you, you agree with everything that I want to present. You think it's spot on. You're like, yup, yup, yup. Mm -hmm. And you know that it, it's in line with everybody's thinking. It's in line with the strategic goal, the roadmap, the budget, timeline, everything. It's time for me to present. What do you need to do and how you need to show up? I show up the way that you asked me to show up. So if you say, Alyssa, I really need to make, I need you to make sure that if someone tries to talk over me, you call them on it. Or if there's one particular person that we both know will speak up against this, that I raise my hand and say, no, I support you. And it's about listening, believing the person, listening and showing up. Mm -hmm. It's about all of those things. And I think we as white women especially need to ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? 
honestly, why are we so afraid to do this? And I think for me, there were a lot of reasons. I mean, I was a people pleaser. I was a peacekeeper. You knew this based on how I grew up. I had to stand in between people and keep fights at bay. Um, We need to stop prioritizing peace over progress because right now it's not really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hurting us too. So we need to get to the point where we recognize the solidarity in each other and join hands with consent, <laughs> join hands. And with consent. Forward. With consent. Yes. Isn't that good, Tiffany? I know that's what I was saying, because, you know, we always talk about, you know, white comfort, right? Yes. And it's like, it's like, like, why do white people get to be comfortable and black women and black people ain't never comfortable. We can't never be comfortable. So why is that? Right. And so this morning when I was on the show, I was trying to remember this quote. Um, and it's on this little dish that I had gotten in um, oh, yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And it's called, it's from a, a company called quotable. Um, oh, you could put it in the microwave, but anyway, it says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And mm-hmm. that's a quote from Neil Donald Walsh, but it's spelled W-A-L-S-C-H, which is very tricky, um, very tricky. But I mean, think about it, right? Because what can you, what happens, what really happens that's uncomfortable, right? That's, that's uncomfortable before you get to that, right? And I just, I mean, the, the crazy example I just thought of, I don't know why, was having a baby, right? Like, it's uncomfortable, but then look at that. There's life at the end of it. At the end. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think, so my sister, uh, one of my sisters, actually two of the three of my sisters, I'm one of five, um, are in social work and psychology. And the fear and anxiety response is also very similar to excitement. So she gave me this analogy once. There were two planes that were, that were filled with people, all had parachutes on like they were going to skydive. One of the planes knew that they weren't going to skydive. They were just going to have that gear on and be measured for like the fear and anxiety. The other plane were also measured, but they were actually going to skydive. Okay. So as these two planes are going, the measurements are about the same. Okay. They're pretty high because everybody's like, ooh, you know, like we're going to jump or we're not going to jump or you have that on. So you're kind of sitting in that moment. All right. So the people that jumped from the plane, the ones that actually skydived, their anxiety right at that moment jumped up, but immediately after they jumped, it settled down. The people that were on the plane and chose not to jump stayed at that same level of fear and anxiety. And I feel like that really talks about where white women are in the workplace. There's that fear of like, if I jump, it's gonna be more scary. And yes, it will initially. But on the other side of that is progress. And I think what we need to talk about, too, is culture, because the way I've always defined culture, the way that we're defining it now in the project that I'm working on in Ature Equality is culture is a collective habit that we reinforce every day. Yep. Culture is a habit. It's not just like, oh, this exists this way and it cannot be changed. It can. It just requires work. It requires being mindful of it. It requires thinking about it. And, and reevaluating how a situation went, asking for understanding. Yep. So we can change this. We should change it. We have to get to the point where we recognize that the scariest thing in the room is not jumping. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so that's so darn good. 
I mean, because you always feel that way until you do it. And every, I mean, I could think of so many situations and the second you do it, you're like, mm. you know, I was thinking about, I, I got some mail today and some things I'm going to have to do in the next couple of months that, you know, they kind of could seem kind of, kind of hard or whatever, but like I'm putting them on a calendar and it's going to be what it's going to be. Right. And it's no sense of, of trying to stay comfortable. So if you, you know, talk about, you know, in the, in the workplace, so play it out, right? I'm in a meeting okay. and this wouldn't happen with me. Cause I don't let anybody talk over me. I say, <laughs> no, I say, sure. so here's a tip. I say, so let's say I'm talking and somebody starts talking over me. I say, I'm not finished. Like, it's like, stop. That's a signal. When you put your hand up, that get their damn attention. And you do that on a Zoom, <laughs> they'll stop. Okay, so yeah. you say you're not finished. <laughs> or you just say, I'm not finished. Or you say, uh, excuse me. Or you call a person's name out. You know, hey, Brett, I'm not done. Or whatever, right? Hey, Tom, I'm not done. That's one, right? So, so that doesn't happen to me. But, uh, and I don't let people repeat me either because they'll say... <laughs> Well, I just want to echo Vonda, and I'll say, I don't need an echo. Can't y'all hear me? If you heard yeah. me, they can Everybody hear me too. Heard it. Yes. So you don't have to echo me, or you don't have to repeat me. But if they do repeat me without giving a little intro about the echo and giving me time, I say, thanks for repeating me, Tom, or John, or Tom, or Brett, or whatever. I recognize where it came from, that where the right. idea came from. Thanks right. for repeating me, right? And so what I tell people is, you know, so if it was somebody else in the room, how would you do that? You like that one, Tiffany? <laughs> how would you do that? So how would you do it as a supporter of me? So somebody right. starts over talking and I'm, we'll and I'm trying to say my point. Right. It's like Tom Bond is talking and it doesn't have to be any more than that. I think as, as white people, we think that we have to do this like grand, amazing gesture. And all it is is, Hey, Tom, Bond is talking. I'd like to hear her finish. Is that okay? No, they think they got to be Sandra Bullock and um, <laughs> save, save, no. save the world. <laughs> no, this isn't one in these large, grandiose moments. It's one in these one-on-one -on -one interactions with you and I on those little meeting things where you just have to show up. Right. Um, both of us are entrepreneurs now. And we yep. can relate to that fear of starting something, of doing something different. And it is terrifying, right? I never in a million years thought I'd be here, um, but we are. Mm -hmm. And it takes that moment to say, I believe in myself enough and I value myself enough to do it. So I think if there's a white woman listening, that's like, I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm too scared. Maybe try setting a boundary for yourself. Maybe try standing up for yourself in a meeting, because sometimes if you can't stand up for yourself, it might be very difficult to stand up for somebody else. So start understanding what your boundaries are, start setting them and recognize that when somebody else does it, it's not just OK, it's really good and you should help them enforce them. Yep. And what I would say is build your own boundaries. So yes. if you don't even know what your boundaries are, start yes. with them at work. I mean, you could start with them at home, which is probably what I would, you know, recommend. But you could start with them and say, I will not allow people to talk over me when I'm talking. I will, uh, you know, I will finish my own sentence, my own sentences and not let anybody mansplain me. Right. Um, you can say I will not let anybody, you know, compliment me on my body. If they want to say something about they like my sweater or the color I have, that's sure. fine. 
right? But certain things are off off limits. So I would tell people to, you know, you know, build a list, you know, a, a mental, even a written list if it's going to help, you know, and their notes about what they think around what their own boundaries are. And then, you know, if people have, you know, a really clear, you know, viewpoint of their own boundaries, then to your point, right, it will help people um, be more accepting of other people's boundaries. So if somebody says, no, no, thank you, don't do that, they'll be like, oh, thanks for I telling me. Yes, thanks for letting me know that. because I have my own boundaries. I appreciate it. That's deep as heck. I mean, you know, I, I can just say I'm so glad that these um, these uh, conversations, these, uh, you know, living corporate um uh, programs are put on LinkedIn learning because I can just imagine all of the value that is going to come out of this conversation, you know, for things that I'm sure, you know, many white women have not had this conversation, right. Or been feeling right. like they were in a space where they could even be, you know, comfortable to have this conversation and especially, you know, with a black woman. So, you know, you know, shout out to you cause you did your homework. And I think, you know, a lot of people, back to the comfort part, right? Even the homework is is uncomfortable, right? Because even if I think about, you know, I told you <laughs> in school, you know, I was good in reading and, and all of that, reading and history and, and AP English and writing and all of that stuff, but I wasn't good in math, right? And I think about my um, my friends who I leaned on, right, for help and support. As you're learning anything, you can lean on your friends for help and support. And yep. so, you know, in I, I feel like when we're talking about the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, you know, democratization of, you know, work models and, and liberation work and reparation work, when we talk in anti-racism work, especially anti-racism in corporate America in, yep. within these systems and systemic, you know, nobody can do this work in a vacuum. Nobody can do this work, um, you know, without a coalition of people to work with. Nobody can do this work without some effort and energy. Nobody can do the work without making mistakes, right? And you fall down and you get back up. And Thank you for calling that out. Right? And even though mistakes is related to image, right? Because it's how you how you think about image and failure, right? I was remembering, and I don't know if I asked you, did you watch Sesame Street as a little girl or um, mm -hmm. Electric Company or any of those shows? One of those shows had a song and they said, oops, I made a mistake, that's all. And it was like this whole little thing. And I remember learning that, right? So Sesame Street, I think started in 1970 or 71. I was, Something, so it was in the 70s, yeah, yeah. Right. So, but I remembered that. And I remember singing and teaching Morgan that and telling my daughter, mistakes happen. And so it's no reason to be like, you know, whatever. And if it's a funny right. mistake, laugh at it. If it's not a funny mistake, apologize, clean it up. Yeah. Fix it to the best of your ability. Do the best to repair the breach, right? The mistake. And then you move on from it. And then the yes. next time you could do better because you learned from, you know, from that, from that other one. And so if you think about it in the, you know, the corporate kind of conversation, you could think about it in the personal relationship um, conversation. And I think 
you know, the personal building and development is more, not more important, but it's foundational to yes. being able to do it in the workplace. Yes. There's, there's so much there that I know that we will not have time to address. But like we talked about, on the other side of fear is this beautiful solidarity that you and I now have because we've been working on it and talking about it every day for three months. On the other side of a mistake or a failure is learning and growth. We need to get out of our heads that to make a mistake makes you a bad person. Making a mistake makes you human. We all do it. So let's not belabor the, we're not perfect. We cannot be perfect. Let's not prioritize that. Let's prioritize getting it done. Let's prioritize growth. Like you said, let's prioritize each other. Let's prioritize people. I love that. I mean, that's what it is. And I think, you know, that's a, just a, a good little segue to close it out. Um, you know, cause I mean, we, we, I think Tiffany, you let us know, did we prove or demonstrate that black women and white women can be friends? Um, did we prove and, or at least giving people a sneak peek, you know, into, all right, woo -woo, um, into the fact that it can happen. Right. But what you have to do is you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to yeah. communicate, you have to connect, you have to collaborate because the other part of any relationship is working with a person, right? So communicating is one piece and we could talk all day, but then what did that build into, right? And, and what are we doing? Yeah. So we're getting ready to kick off this amazing new project together. It's called Opposite to Press. And I want to let you talk about it um, and just yeah. give people kind of the real quick overview of it so they can know what to expect. We explore so much. So it's hard to put this in like a quick elevator statement, like nutshell piece. But essentially, Vond and I, like I said, connected on something really deep and really traumatic. We were both in abusive households. And while that helped us develop our relationship, what it also did was help us have a foundation or a base, like you've talked about, as kind of this point of comparison. So how did my parents handle, you know, sick days? Or how did we handle failure? Um, and how did yours? And how was that different? And we realized that although we're saying the same words, sometimes we're speaking a completely different language because culturally it was so very different. But through these conversations, we've uncovered parts of ourselves we didn't know existed. And we found that mutual love that's really going to drive us together and then push us forward. That's a really good, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good um, explanation. I mean, of it, and so yeah. So everybody, so so stay tuned. Um, I mean, to learn more now, you can just contact at oppressed, um dot com to reach out. But you'll be hearing more about that in the future. Um, Alyssa and I are going to continue to have these radical change conversations to talk about equity, to talk about you know community connections to talk about, you know, relationships at work, especially, you know, really, you know, helping allies specifically, you know, how do people, you know, how, how do you get to the root of allyship in the corporate setting at work? What does that look like? Right. So, you know, yeah. we talked about it this morning, even, you know, um, talking with yes. Jackie, right. Talking about hush money too you know, in that role of an ally and what that looks like. And so we're going to continue to have those conversations so people can say, you know, I really don't know, because guess what? 
this is gonna be on LinkedIn Learning. It's gonna be on YouTube. It's gonna be on everywhere where you can and get a podcast. And we're both accessible. Yeah. They can reach out through LinkedIn to get to get either any either of us at any point in time. So with that, I want to say shout out to Tiffany. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Appreciate the love. Um, thank you, Alyssa, so so much for doing this with me and being on this journey. Thank you to everybody watching and listening, and we will see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.